It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you would be open your Bibles to Psalms, the 51st chapter. And we'll conclude our study tonight on Psalms, the 51st chapter, the joy of salvation. It is awesome to hear the report of those that have just returned last night, yesterday afternoon from El Salvador. There, there were 11 people baptized into Christ as a result of that effort. The church there is doing wonderful. It's a younger congregation and has a young man that's very capable uh, as a preacher, as a minister in the pulpit and teaching in day-to-day life. And it is exciting to think of the good that can be done for Christ's cause in such a large city. He's working in San Salvador, which is a very, very large city. And it's exciting to think about the church growing there and reaching out as we even tonight talk about the joy of salvation and think of 11 that can think and experience that salvation this is past week. Uh, we prayed for you guys while you were gone and we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're back home safely. Also, we have seven others that are in Ukraine and they will be returning uh, a week from tonight. They'll return late Sunday evening and uh, we're getting just little bits and pieces uh, reporting from them because it's it's expensive to call, and so the, the, the calls are very short, but what we're hearing is that things are going well. They're working with somewhere around 50 to 60 kids. I think Andrew is having a Bible study with one of the translators, and that is looking very promising, and so it's exciting to think of that work, and let's continue to be as Epaphras. Let's be laboring in prayer on their behalf, and let's be zealous not only for their good, but for those that they're striving to reach, that the greatest things can take place this week to open up doors and to make their time there a great success for the glory of God. How awesome it's going to be to be able to enter into the other side, to be able to enter into heaven on that final day, and to look around and see individuals that God gave us the opportunity to share the gospel with them for the first time. That's exciting to think about how many people from all over the world can at least have a link of encouragement or a seed or a watering from those that have come to them from far distances from Mount Juliet. But let's make sure that same is also true of our neighbors next door. Let's not only be excited about reaching folks around the world, but let's remember that this is the mission field that God holds us the most responsible for, and that is our own home. As we look in Psalms, the 51st chapter, I'd like for you to look with me as... We think about verse 10 and following as we launch tonight's study. He says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, especially notice here, verses 12 and 13, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. We have looked over the past few weeks at various aspects of these verses and some verses previous and even after this. But thinking very quickly, we've looked at the idea that one reason salvation is such a joy is when we realize where we have been. You remember the first few verses here of Psalms, the 51st chapter, at the end of verse 1 and going into verse 2. He talked about there the transgressions, he talked about the iniquity, and he talked about the sin. 
And for much of the first lesson, we identified the fact that when we are not saved, we realize where we are. We realize that we've transgressed, we've rebelled against God. We realize that our soul has been filled with iniquity, which means the pollutedness of sin. And then sin itself means that we are ruined. And so when we identify all three of those, and David was saying, look, Lord, I'm begging you, creating me a clean heart. I don't want to be one that's rebelled. I don't want to have the pollution of sin. I don't want to be ruined. Please deliver me from that. And David believed that he was delivered from that, and so he could say, I have the joy of salvation. The second lesson we looked at was once we've been removed from that, what have we experienced? And in a quick nutshell, last week we talked about he knew then that he was experiencing life with God what it was to live in the presence of God, what it was for God to lift us up out of the waters of baptism, and what it is at that point for God and us to walk hand in hand, His will being done in our life. And at the last, of, last Sunday night's lesson, we talked about what it was to have a relationship with God. Not just striving to do what's right, but striving to do what's right because we love God. We want to be one with God and live in the presence of God. But tonight, let's ask this question. What now? Did you notice in the text that, that we just read? Notice he said in 12 again, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Now notice the word then here. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. That placement of the word then is very interesting to me. It's as if the psalmist is saying, Look, here's what I want God to do. And when God does that, there's some things that I want to do for God. Now, we already know that he had repented of sin. We already know he confessed sin. And now he's longing, he's asking, he's begging God, forgive me of these sins. Lord, when you restore to me that clean heart, this is what I want to do. Then I want to tell others about you. Do you realize that that has always been the response of individuals that have loved salvation, that have had joy of salvation? Let's think just very quickly of some individuals. You remember when we study about Levi being converted, and he's better known as Matthew, but then he was the tax collector. And you remember when he was converted, what he did right after that? He invited all of his tax uh, collecting friends over. And they had a big, one, one of the gospel says, Matthew says, they had a feast. Now as they had that feast, of course, Jesus was invited. What is implied there? Because Jesus later talks to the scribes and Pharisees, says that he was there as a physician because they that are sick need the physician and they that are well do not. You see, that whole setting implies that he was so excited about becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ that he couldn't contain the joy. He ran out and he told his friends, come, I want to show you what I found. And that's exactly what happened in John the fourth chapter, the Samaritan woman. You remember at first, Jesus is a stranger. Then he's a Jew. Then he's a sir. Then he's a prophet. And as you read further, finally she exclaims, this must be the Messiah. And what does she do? At that point, she runs throughout Samaria and she tells everyone, come and see a man that's told me all that I've ever thought or did. And they rush back into town to meet Jesus and he has to stay there two days longer. Why? Because a woman was so excited about the joy of salvation that she was finding in Jesus that she ran out and told others. You remember the man Legion? The demons were cast out of him, and that's why they identified themselves as legion, for we are many. 
Remember, he was the one that chains couldn't hold him, and he lived out in the cemetery, and he cut himself with sharp rocks, and everybody treated him somewhat like a monster except Jesus. And he came, and he healed that individual. And Jesus was ran out of town by the Jews. And as he is entering onto the boat, as you can imagine, the only individual apparently that's ever been able to help this man, I need to let that sink in, by the way, the only individual that was ever been able to help this man, he wanted to follow him, not just in spirit, but he wanted to physically follow him and leave with him on that boat. And Jesus turned to him and said, go to your home and tell all your friends the things that I have done for you. We're not going to keep on and on, but just to drive the point home one more time, please be patient with me. Luke, the 15th chapter. Three wonderful stories that all represent something lost that was found. We have a lost sheep, we have a lost coin, and we have a lost son. All three of them were lost, all three of them were found. And what happened when they were found? Not only was there great rejoicing with that one, but friends were called in from around so that they all could celebrate together. Why? The Bible makes it clear from the old Bible to the new Bible. There is joy in salvation, and when people truly experience the joy of salvation, they want to go tell others about it. What did David say? It's no surprise that David in Psalms 51 that we just read said, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted. It literally means shall turn to you. Friends, we've seen individuals perhaps that they were baptized in the first few weeks, in the first few months, they were on fire. And they invited people to come to worship. They encouraged others to study their Bible. But I want to ask you, how long does that zeal last? Why does it have to stop? And if it does stop, why does it stop? Now, I hope that you're getting this point tonight because I think this is a huge point for you and I to mull over in our lives. Was there ever a time in the past that you were more evangelistic, that you were more excited about telling others about Jesus than you are right now? And if it is, I need to stop and ask myself, why? I'm sure it's not God's will that I'm less excited to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm sure it's not God's will for me to do less for Him as it pertains to caring and loving the souls of other people. Well, how could it be that in our lives we sometimes lose that zeal? I believe it's this simple. When we lose the joy of our own salvation, we lose the motivation to encourage others to be saved also. Now, I'm sure some of you in this auditorium probably know the couple that just won a house. You remember that house that just a few weeks ago that someone in Mount Juliet won? And, you know, it's several hundred thousand dollars. Can you imagine winning your dream house? You have a dream house, and you win your dream house, and they say, okay, you can have this house under one stipulation. You can't tell anybody. Don't ever let anybody know you live there. You have to admit, that would take a lot of the fun out of it. To not be able to go to your best friend and say, I just want a house. To be able to go to your family, your extended family, and say, you're not going to believe it. 
Just want a house. You got to come over. You got to look at this. You're not going to believe the kitchen. You're not going to believe the entertainment room. You have to come over. No, 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 no. You have something wonderful and you can't tell anyone. You see, when we experience great joy, the natural reaction is I can't wait to tell the people that I love. I can't wait to tell the people that I care about. When we have the joy of salvation, that's the result. Let's look at a couple of passages. Let's go over to Romans, the first chapter, at one of the ones that did the greatest job ever of telling others about Jesus Christ. The most successful missionary that we know of that's ever lived is that of Paul. Now, have you ever thought about why didn't Paul just hit a short spurt of zeal? He moved from persecuting Christians to becoming a Christian, and he went around and he spread the gospel. Why didn't he stop after a few months? Why didn't he say, you know, uh, I remember when I was young and, and I really got fired up about spreading the gospel, but I got over it. Why didn't he? You know, it's a true story. And I think I've shared it with you before. But that's the mindset of many in the church. There, were, there was an eldership that hired a young preacher that was excited about reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. And when someone else outside the church visited with one of the elders and said, boy, that minister you guys have over there, he is really fired up about reaching out to other people in evangelism, isn't he? And the elder said, yeah, but give us a couple of years and we can get him out of that. Can you imagine that? That's a true story. And he meant it. You see, his idea was, it's too much work to try to grow. It's too much work to try to be concerned about lost. Let's just be a little social club here, and let's do things our way, and let's just keep meeting. Friends, that's not the Lord's church. The Lord's church loves the fact that they have the joy of salvation and they can't wait to spread it to the world. How did Paul continue to do what he did throughout his life? We have some insight here in verse 14. He says, I am a debtor. Now notice that word. Paul, why do you get up every day and do this? He says, I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. Paul, why do you get up and why do you have dreams of going to Rome? He says, because I'm a debtor. Why do you want to go into Galatia? I'm a debtor. Why do you want to go into Corinth? I'm a debtor. How many of us have gone on mission trips? And we've returned with this hidden notion that, boy, that's one really good strike for me. Almost as if God owes me one. Man, I've merited something now. I've gone on a mission trip. Paul, you went on a lot of mission trips. How, how do you view yourself going on a mission trip? He said, whew, glad I was able to do that because I definitely owed it to God. Why'd you owe it? He considered it his life mission to share the gospel to those about him. Friends, we owe that. Why? Because look what God has done for us. And look what others that have walked before us have done for us in laying the foundation. And others in your own life personally, look at the encouragement they have given. Well, Paul, how do you keep that kind of attitude? 
This is amazing. Look with me, if you will, now to 1 Timothy, the first chapter. And if you'll think about what's happened in the life of Timothy at the time he's saying this, this will become profound in your mind. In other words, now we're looking at the question saying, okay, Paul, how is it that you can get up every day and still feel indebted? Where and when are you going to reach that point in your life where you say, it's taken care of. I've, I've done my life a service for the Lord. Now this text that we're about to read, Of course, Paul had become a Christian. But not only that, he'd gone through severe persecution. If you'll read the last half of 2 Corinthians 11th chapter, it's amazing all the persecution he'd gone through, the beatings, the whippings, the shipwrecks, the perils. In other words, the persecution by heathens, by Jews, by those in the country, by those in the city, the the shipwrecks, on and on the list goes of all that he went through. He was a tremendous preacher. He was a tremendous missionary. He was a, a talented writer. He was a great teacher. He was a great example. On and on the list could go. And Paul, how do you view yourself? Let's read here as we begin in verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. Isn't that awesome? He's still thankful that he has the opportunity to be a Christian and to be about kingdom work. He says, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Do you hear a man here that remembered where he'd been without Jesus? And now he was just so thankful. There was so much joy in his heart for the grace of God that allowed him not only to be saved, but to be a worker in God's kingdom. Friends, those two have to go hand in hand. When we forget that we were lost, and when we forget what it is to be saved, we will also forget to have any concern for our fellow man. But when we can truly thank God for the joy of our salvation, it will be a natural result that we want to tell others about the God that saved us too. Secondly, let's go back to our text in Psalms 51. And notice with me, if you will, he then goes to verse 14. And he says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. It's interesting that David here is asking to be delivered from guilt. So he's saved. What does he want as a part of this salvation? He wants to know that he's no longer guilty. Now, for some of you, you're going to hear that and say, well, that's a given. But for others of you, you're struggling to forgive yourself. Do you think David had a challenge on his hand? He just took one of his mighty men that he owed a great bit of respect to, and he had his life taken. But before that, he committed adultery with his wife. 
David, what do you need? He says, as I receive the joy of salvation, I need to get rid of this guilt. And every one of us would have to say amen. Feeling guilt of sins that God has already forgiven us of is a work of Satan. Please get this. God is not going to forgive you and I of sins and then send the ghost within to haunt us to say, Oh, but remember, remember that ugly past you have? You should feel so guilty today. Who does that? That's Satan at work. Satan is one of pulling, he wants to pull us down. He wants to discourage us. He wants to put any obstacle in the way that he can find to cause you and I to not stand tall for God, to not stand strong, to not be courageous. And it's so interesting to me that after he uses the word then, he goes back and he talks about guilt again. But yet, when we look at our human nature and the very thing that we oftentimes struggle with, that being guilt, it starts to make a little more sense. Now, as we go back and we look at Psalm 51, beginning at verse 12, 13, and 14, we've already read it. But what I'd like for you to note is, note in verse 12, he said, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Note that word generous. It's beautiful. David? How are you going to really feel forgiven? And I believe David would look you right in the eyes and say, the only way I can feel forgiven is I know that there's a generous God. That He has a generous spirit. And that He'll do for me what no one else would do for me. God's going to forget it. He's going to forgive it. And He's going to restore and create that new heart in me. What a beautiful thought. But notice also, it was then that he said, I'll teach others. What's interesting to me, and any of you that are struggling with this false guilt, and I'm not saying that to beat you up, I'm saying this to encourage you. If you're one of the ones struggling with this false guilt, please think with me on this for just a moment. The individuals that I've talked with that are struggling with this false guilt, if you ask them, do you think God will forgive other people of their sins? they almost always say, well, yes, I believe God would forgive others. Well, now, it just doesn't make sense. If God, being the faithful God, will forgive others, why He would choose you to not forgive? And when you start backing up as a third person, looking, like it, looking at it like that, you begin to make God into an ugly being, an unfair being prejudiced being you don't really believe that you don't really believe that God would pick you out of all the people in the world and choose not to forgive you when he would forgive everyone else isn't it wonderful that David says I have a message to tell everybody else that's transgressed what is it about a God that'll forgive you see, David didn't have to say, I'm going to go to most sinners because some sinners God won't forgive, but others He will forgive. No, we can go to all. Isn't that beautiful the way we can send mission teams throughout the whole world? 
And we don't have to pick a continent where we say, now God doesn't forgive people on that continent. Or we don't have to fit, pick a, a class of people and say, well, now we can't go there because God doesn't forgive those. But I need to believe and be consistent with my belief. If God will forgive everybody else, He'll forgive me too. And He'll forgive you. That's why David could talk about singing praise. The praise that he was singing to God was for the joy of salvation. As I read this text, there is something else that comes to my mind that it's not a phrase in Psalms 51. And you know, for three Sunday nights, we've been studying phrases out of Psalms 51. And so I'm telling you this to be fair with you as we study this text. I don't want you leaving here saying, now, now David said that's in Psalms 51 somewhere. It's more of just a feeling I get after studying 51. David knew who he was. And you know, that's no surprise. Because David knew when he was a young man who he was. You remember when even his father overlooked him? Remember when the priest came into town to anoint the next king? And he goes to Jesse and says, You have any sons? And he lines up every son except David. That, that's mind-boggling to me. How, how a man of God could ask him to bring his sons forward and Jesse just conveniently forgets about that younger one that's out in the field. You know, men may have overlooked him, but he knew who he was. He knew that he was God's. He was God's chosen. And when it came time to stand before Goliath, you know, no one else was willing to make that stand. And as he goes out, listen to the words that he says to Goliath. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And you probably know the rest of the story as he then killed Goliath and cut off his head and took that and delivered it back to the king. How could he do that? Because he knew that he was God's. He knew where he stood and he knew on which side he, he was a soldier. And he knew that being God's soldier made him more powerful than any enemy, even though the enemy was probably twice his size. Let's look at one more story of that. If you want to be turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the 16th chapter. David had been taken over by Absalom, his son, 
and this is one of the dark chapters in David's life. He'd probably tell you this is one of the darkest chapters in his life. And so he is actually having to flee from Jerusalem. And you imagine what that would be like for the king to have to flee Jerusalem because of the power of his son that is rebelling against him. And Shimei is a man that comes and he begins to shout at David. And I want you to envision the mighty men walking along with David. These are the elite of the elite of the soldiers. These are the men that would give their life in a heartbeat for David. These are the men that had already proved on almost a, a, a monthly basis that they would risk their life for David. And they're walking out of the city, escorted by the mighty men. And Shimei comes along, and he begins to curse David because he is praising Absalom. And he's saying that what Absalom is doing is really God's will. Keep in mind... People use that phrase a whole lot, don't they? Something happens. That's God's will. Well, it wasn't God's will. But yet, that's what he was saying. It's God's will. And God's getting back at you for shedding all the blood in your life. And he runs on the opposite hill. You can imagine them down in the valley or the side of that hill. And he's running on the opposite hill. And he's throwing rocks at them. And he's kicking dust up at them. And he's cursing them. And one of them had had enough and said, King please let me go and kill that man. And David said, no. We're not going to take his life. Later, they return. Go over, if you will, the 19th chapter. By the return, I mean that Absalom is now dead. A ferry now comes back across Jordan bringing the king and his family. I'll give you one guess. Who's the first one to greet them on the other side? You see there in 18, it's Shimei. He falls down and he begins offering and professing apologies and oh, how great you are, king, and how wrong I was. And Abishai says, and, and this is in verse 21, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And at the end of 22, David says, Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? Notice this phrase. For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? What is joy of salvation? The joy of salvation is going to cause us to want to go and tell others. The joy of salvation is going to let us know there's no reason to carry false guilt. But please get this as we close this series. The joy of salvation is knowing who we are. I don't have to kill a man so people will know who I am. God knows who I am. God knows I'm king of Israel. I know I'm king of Israel. It doesn't matter how he curses me. He doesn't matter what rocks he throws. It doesn't matter what he says. I know who I am. If every one of our young people could know who they are, and it didn't matter what someone said, you have to smoke or you have to drink or you have to do. I don't have to do that stuff. I know who I am. I'm a child of God.
And when we stand in the office place and we stand at the workplace and people ridicule us, it doesn't matter what they say. We know who we are. I am a child of God. How can you know that? Because I know the joy of salvation. God done his part and I've responded with my part. I know who I am. And friends, there's no joy like the joy of being able to stand in times of temptation and know who you are. Tonight I beg you, if you know who you are and you're not proud of it, by the grace of God, you can become something tonight that you'll be proud to take a stand. You won't have to prove it to anybody. And what a joy that brings in life. Not having to become anybody's yes man. Not having to worry about the peer pressure that surrounds us. Tonight, if you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, if you're a believer and willing to repent, won't you confess that He is the Son of God and be baptized and come out of that water knowing that you're a child of God and feel and experience the joy of salvation? Maybe you've been saved and somewhere along the way something's parted you. Maybe you've tried to prove to somebody that you're something you're not. Don't stay out there. Come back to God and take your stand with Him. He's the Father with the open arms, and He's the Father that rejoices more over the one that was found than the 99 that stayed at home. You see, when we're concerned about our salvation, not only does it make us happy, it makes God happy. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.